Rodney, what's happening? Running up hills. Mm, yeah. Hill yeah. Running. Things things people don't do. Yeah. Things people do do, apparently. <laughs> I got invited to a workout by uh, our, actually our, our coming guest. Uh-huh. And he was like, come work out. And he sent me this thing that looked hellacious. And I was like, mm-hmm. all right, fine. I'll go hurt myself. And yeah. then we get there and he's like, actually, we're not going to do that thing. We're going to go up that thing like mm-hmm. eight times after mm-hmm. doing copious mm-hmm. amounts of squats and lunges. And mm-hmm. I wanted to throw up. Yeah. But I learned a lot about myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There it is. Welcome back to the More in Common podcast. Welcome to 2021, our season five. I am your co-host, Keith. I'm Rod. Merry 2021, Keith. Hi, friend. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the new year. Keith and I are on a mission to promote and help create genuine human connections by anchoring people in compassionate conversation because we think that compassion is for everybody not just like people you like it's for everybody that's right and you know it is okay to focus on liking or giving compassion to people that you don't like and that's what we try to do here at more in common just anchoring the idea of compassionate conversation So, as you're on this journey with us, we are on it with you. Um, Definitely don't forget to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. um, And you can really just find everything more in common at moreincommonent.com. We really appreciate you joining us. And, you know, if you really, really like it, share it. Email it over. Share your favorite podcast app with your favorite episode and the favorite guests that you've had in our over 100 conversations that we've had in the last three years. But today, we are with Josh Adam, the head coach of USC Crew. Rodney, what an amazing conversation. Quick notes for what people can expect out of this conversation in the next hour. Yeah, he's a modern-day philosopher, if I sum him up. He's just a modern-day philosopher, and uh, he studied philosophy and, and a lot of different things. And I just... Uh, I just recommend sitting back and listening to the history lesson we get, the the conversation about competition, the defining of love. Um, those are the main things that stick out for me. Any you wanna you wanna call out, or we just wanna get into? I it? just, I you know, I, I think we just need to, but get into it. And as you said, you know, sit back and. This is this is a really just a great peaceful reflective conversation that I will listen to over and over again because I continue to learn from this conversation. So check it out. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. Then really, okay. So what's what is our purpose that's here? Like. You know, everybody defines purpose for themselves in some way. Like we all have this like great luxury right now of being able to say, like, okay, what's my purpose? What am I going to fulfill? But I think foundationally, 
like figuring out who we're supposed to be as as humans is, is like a foundational element like all of us should have this purpose of how do i be an authentic human and i i think that question if to speak to what you were saying keith like if more people would like delve into that question we'd have some really fun conversations all right, we're going to take a little break here. I want to tell you about something pretty amazing that we stumbled upon. A little ways back, we interviewed this amazing dude, Kwame Bowen, and he shared with me after the episode that his mother is a poet. And what's awesome about that is that he has all of her writings and all her poems, but what he doesn't have is her reading them. That inspired Keith and I to then start recording videos for our daughters. And... As we started recording those videos, we started running into the challenges, the challenges of where are we going to send them to our daughters? How are we going to get them to them? Where are we going to save them? Is it going to be Google Drive? Is it going to be OneDrive? And then along came GiftPod. It's an audio memory that you can record and give as a private podcast. What they're going to do is edit, add music, and produce the audio that you provide them into a professional podcast that you can share with your family members for any purpose. We use it for our daughters in the future. All right, so check it out. In the write-up for this podcast, you're going to see a link to GiftPod. If you use promo code MIC10, you're going to get a discount. And uh, leave some amazing memories for your friends, family, loved ones, maybe for yourself. Why don't you time capsule this for yourself? I don't know. So check them out. Giveagiftpod.com. MIC10 promo code. Welcome back to the More Common Podcast. I am your co-host, Keith, with my man, Rod, and today we are with Josh Adam. Welcome to the show, Josh. Right on. Glad to be here. This Morning. is exciting. Glad to have you. So Josh is a Navy veteran. He's married with four children, including twins. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in history and Christian education from Seattle Pacific back in 2000. He did his post-bachelor's research at, I might get this right, Catholique Universitet Leuven in yeah. Belgium. Yeah, nice. I tried. Nice. And then received his master's in sports and exercise science from Minnesota. He rowed for four years at Seattle Pacific and started coaching rowing in 2001, which has led to an amazing career in coaching. He has coached uh, at Seattle Pacific, Indiana, Washington State, the U.S. national team, and now is the head coach at USC. And we are excited to have you, my man. Yes, we are. That's solid. Thanks. Yeah, I get I get a good one. Did I did I did I did I make any mistakes there? A, yeah, no, that's good. I think that hits the highlights. Good, good. Um, so you have a degree in history and christian education yeah true story very curious <laughs> given the fact by the time this comes out this it, it'll probably be december time frame where our audience is watching or listening to this but today is the friday before election day and i'm oh, curious yeah. how your degree especially mm. in history because i'm always I, I love history i'm fascinated by it and you marry that to to the religious component how it paints your perspective of the current political climate wow yeah that's a that gets right into it <laughs> so the 
the degree that I have, like the area of, of history that I really focused in on was probably like uh, mid medieval to late medieval history of the Iberian Peninsula and specifically like, like church history, like, in, like history of the entire uh, Western church, I guess you could say. Um, I had some really great professors that like had really honed in on like what had happened in Spain and then subsequently like with the move over to South America and like mm -hmm. how all of those things kind of played together. And the Christian education side was more like was a combination of human development as well as how do you train faith in someone. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was a great balance in terms of looking at where we have been in the history of the Western church, as well as like, okay, how do you instill and bring up faith in someone else? So how that would inform where we are currently is, you know, I think that there's a almost a tension right now, like, especially in the yeah. U S but I would say if you wanted to expand that outside of the United States, like I, I, you can kind of sense it worldwide Easy. where there's some deep, sense of nationalistic tendencies and some of that positive and some of that negative. And I think some of that is uh, informed by people's faith. And some of that I think is being informed in contrast to some very fundamental values that some people hold mm -hmm. and people are polarizing ideas rather than trying to find common ground, right? Like to find space where they can actually communicate. And they're looking at historical actions, uh, whether it's recent history, you know, last four years of a political candidate or last 20 years of something that's happened inside of a, a church or inside of what's happening as a reason for why they're gonna polarize their feelings and their thoughts. Mm. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily the best way to use history <laughs> mm. uh, to inform, to kind of like entrench yourself into a decision. Like for me, history was always the story. Like, and this, like I loved history for that standpoint to kind of unpack what the story was of like how something had occurred. Mm -hmm. And it always softened my opinions rather than hardened my opinions. So I think where we find ourselves now is like people using a selected narrative and you know everybody would say like oh everybody selects the narrative of the story of the history that they're going to look at. But I think because of that it should soften our ideas and our ideals and open up more of a conversation because you know the way that you interpret your history mm -hmm. is going to be different than mine yeah. and the only way that we're going to figure out that distance is is through communication yeah. right so like i think that what it does for me now is it forces me into a dialogue that forces is not the right word it encourages me to open up a space where i have to ask the question you know that there's a one of my favorite philosophers is uh, martin buber and he has a great book He's got, a, he's got a lot of them, but like one of my favorites is I and Thou, mm -hmm. where he really talks about the space of like, what does it mean to be an I? And what does it mean to be like an it and, and a you? And he's got this great statement, like in, in an I, 
that's what I know about, right? Like I have thoughts, I have experiences, I have feelings. Like I can talk intelligently about I. Mm -hmm. If I have an it, right, like the cup, like that's sitting on the table, like I can experience it, but it it doesn't experience me. Like it doesn't come back. So there's an I it relationship. You is totally different, right? Like you're another I. Mm -hmm. Right, you're having your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations. You're having a response to that, and really, the only way to to bridge that distance between I and you is communication, is is dialogue. And so, like, you know, there's, there, I think that's where my experience of history kind of comes through. Is like I love understanding the story, yeah. and so it's opened up the space for me where I'm always trying to figure out, okay, how do I bridge that distance between I and that, or I and you? Yeah, in that. So earlier you kind of talked about one of the things that drives you, keeps you going is your faith. And then you talked about learning about instilling faith or like the, the concept, like how would you help instill faith? What is faith to you? Like, how would, how would you define faith and what is it for you? Uh, so I think, you know, there's a, there's, there's several layers mm -hmm. to that, right? Like faith as an overarching term, you know, I think people talk about faith in themselves. So like that's one idea right so like i think one concept is like i have a good idea of who i am and i have like a confidence or a, a faith that like i know what i'm doing i think that's one element i think that there's like you know i've there's a lot of conversation right now i think around faith in humanity <laughs> having <laughs> or like, lack thereof. or lack thereof <laughs> right like so you have like a faith in them like that there's a there's a genuine good that's that that might be there or mm faith that like there's none right like that there's you have like a almost like a dystopic idea mm -hmm. you know you don't really have faith in that i think a lot of times like faith triggers a thought with people that you know it's it's faith in like a certain certain tenet of like a religious idea like mm -hmm. i have a faith that's driven by islamic tenets or i have a faith that's driven by you know western catholicism or mm -hmm. i have faith that's like orthodox or i have faith that's like jewish you know i think that there's a number of things that come there mm -hmm. but at its root like faith is having like uh, a hope in evidence of things that are unseen yeah and like that struggle to find evidence in something that's like tangible intangible right mm -hmm. you can't really put your finger on it but that for me is kind of like my definition of where faith would be i ask because i think a lot of people hear faith and they ascribe it immediately to religion mm -hmm. yeah and i'm like no no no. like you have faith every time you get in your car or you get in a plane like you have faith that that thing's gonna get where it's supposed to go like that's just the belief in something yeah, faith in see. science right faith in like, science yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. What um, what is the evidence of the unseen that you experience? Like, what is that? You've put a lot of time and energy into that. I have some like I'm very curious to get your take if that question even makes sense. Yeah. So if if we would if we would have a definition of faith as hope in evidence of things that are unseen, mm -hmm. then I think we all have some sort of experience of an, of an intangible or something that is other like other, like uh, vertical versus horizontal, right? Like I have faith that Rodney is going to continue to sit in that chair for, you know, maybe for the next hour or something, right? Like that would be like a horizontal element of faith. Mm 
<laughs> but I think don't trust them that much. It might... <laughs> <laughs> you never know. That water looks good. <laughs> but I think that if if you really would to push somebody, all of us have had some sort of experience of uh, the ethereal or the, the the nebulous or the other or religious would some people say but I, I don't think religious is the right term because religious is like at its root it's like you're disciplined about something like right, if you right, really di dive into the yeah, definition yeah. of it but it's almost like the mystery right something strange or something that i can't explain the happened unexplainable yeah yeah right and some of that gets explained inside of you know like a religious structure some mm -hmm. of that gets explained inside of you know the x-files you know like you know aliens or something along those lines everybody's got this so i think that evidence of something unseen is what is your experience of the intangible other right and so you have hope in that some people feel like okay there's a guiding element that's helping me through this life mm -hmm. you know there's you know some people ascribe god to that you know some people ascribe it like an experience of like a group of people I remember uh, having like a like an old guy that was in Alcoholics Anonymous say like, for me, God is group of drunks, right? And inside <laughs> of that element was like the evidence of something greater. Like here's like a group of people that are coming together with a common cause of trying to be better humans. And that energy that they all had together was the thing that kept them coming back and working mm. on their sobriety and working on being better so for me that that evidence of things unseen is you know it's it's different for everybody like in in what that is and it's sometimes it's, there's common elements it's interesting as i think to your sentiments of today's political climate and everybody seems to be informed by some faith and they are holding it in contrast to others. So whether it's faith in conspiracies um, or it's faith in a religious doctrine, or if it's whatever that faith is, there's, there's this ever existing evidence that seems to be just bombarding people through online media or whatever the case that, that fortifies that faith rather than creating a space for connection to learn more about where other people's faith is coming from, coming from creating this divide. And you said something like this space to ask questions. I mean, you've thought about this a lot. How do you create that space for yourself so that when someone expresses something that may be counter to the evidence that you've experienced in your unseen or whatever it may be, how do you maintain that space so you can open yourself up to that curiosity so you can look to establish that connection? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I mean, there's some, there's some basic values that I think I hold inside of myself that I'd say there's probably like seven that are primary um, that I try to work with. I try to have a sense of like that there is like spirit, that there's a, there's something greater than 
myself, right? Like Aristotle's de anima, or like, I think that there's something more of me than just sinew and bones. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that I could extend that to someone else also. There's something more inside of them. And I think another tenet that I try to hold is one of compassion, both compassion with myself and the other. Like, I mean, I, the way that that looks with myself is I, I have my perfectionist tendencies, um, like probably borderline OCD at times, like not, not like clinical, but just like, okay, I have things that I, I want to have done, but having compassion with myself, like, okay, I make a mistake, like that's fine. Like I got to learn from that and move on. And I think that that also helps me open up that same space for someone else, like in extending some compassion with them. Uh, again, like the leadership, like I think that's a quality like I hold inside of myself, like that, like I'm confident that I do know how to lead, but that my leadership is not always the way that it has to be, right? And I think that's a, probably one of the critical ones is like my understanding of the world isn't necessarily the only way to understand the world and i mean even with someone that i would have a lot in common with that i could be like oh yeah like that's that's my brother or that's my sister like that person could have a very stark different way of seeing something and you're never really going to know unless you like open that up i think integrity right like the person that i purport to be I have to make sure that I am in alignment with that person. So like sometimes that's hard, right? Like I think that yes. we all have this very strong tendency to want to lie, not only to the other, but to ourselves, mm. right? Because it, sometimes it's just easier, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, like I could get into a truly authentic conversation with someone right now you know, something as simple as like, Hey, how you doing? Mm. Ah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. Yeah. Like someone's not really going to want to bridge deeper than that. Like I remember like a friend of mine was from Australia when I was living in Belgium and he was like, he would always ask, how are you going? And I was like, Oh, that's, I was like, why the difference? Like from versus like, you know, the U S is like, how are you doing versus mm -hmm. how are you going? And his name was Andrew. Andrew was always like, yeah, you know, like going is much more like, I want to know where you're at on your journey right now mm. and who you are in the moment of like where you're at, like in this mm. place where he's like, whenever I hear Americans say, how are you doing? Like, it just, it's, it seems like it's very like, what are you doing? What are the, what are the actions that you're doing right now? Whereas like, it was much more, uh, how you go, how are you going or how are you being, was much more of a state of like your entire personhood. I think one of the other values I try to hold is like accountability. Mm -hmm. Like I try to hold myself accountable to like the things that I really like hold, hold dear. And then, you know, try to open that up where if someone tells me who they want to be, like then we enter into this kind of almost like relationship where it's like, okay, I'm going to help you be the person that you want to be also. Yeah, you know, and I like this is an element of myself that I have to be honest with. Like, I'm very competitive. Like, I, <laughs> I'm I'm a competitive person, and I think more, you know a lot of people are, but it's not something that they'll acknowledge. But I think if like in terms of holding true to myself, like I have to be like, okay, like I'm I'm a competitive person, and the way that you know to like and and it kind of seems like we might have strayed off, but to answer your question, how do I hold that space? Like, I have to be like, okay, I'm a competitive person. 
and I'm going to enter into this relationship with this person, I have to, I have to put my competitive nature in check and be like, okay, like I'm not in competition with this person. I don't have to overcome them. I need to be like, okay, the competitive part of me is there. That's fine. But that's not where we're at right now. Like, this is more about dialogue. This is more about like trying to understand. So it's having like an understanding of like where those, those convictions for myself are mm -hmm. and like when they need to be engaged and when they don't need to be engaged. So I think that's how I've kind of maintained that space. And I, you know, probably humility also. Like there's a lot yeah. of times, like I, I think <laughs> I gotta, I gotta check myself because I, I really think I have a good idea or like, Oh, this is the way that something should be going or, Oh, I really want to say this right now. And there's a lot of times I'd be like, I got to just buy my tongue and listen. And I think that listening is probably the, the a good way to kind of land on a conclusion of like, that's the space is to be way more open to listening than to like speaking. Um, there's so many directions. Oh, I, I got, I got, I got like 19. <laughs> this is the most so, notes I've taken in, in weeks. Um, <laughs> so what I, what I figured this conversation was going to be was like a masterclass on like, leadership and like basically we're just going to plug it into our consulting practices <laughs> um so we'll just send you a royalty check um man so much in there so let's go back um one of the first things that i was curious about was the compassion for self and i think it kind of ties into maybe competitive nature and maybe another tenant for you um how what does that sound like in your head like how do you so hmm okay i'm gonna put out what i'm trying to say and then i'll let you take it yeah. um what's your self-talk like and has it always been that way and then how have you understood your competitive nature throughout like have you always been competitive is that one of the earliest things you know about yourself or is that learned and then how do those things interact that uh, it's a weird I'm trying to I'm trying to get to a concept but i can't form a, a smart question yeah i think i think i kind of see where you're going like so the the self-talk like no like my self-talk has not always been there like i think that's probably one of the things that i've grown the most in like i don't think i was conscious of my self-talk probably till like second year of the navy like you know that that screaming idiot that was in the back of my head like was unrealized mm. and i think i started realizing it was there like when i was in the military um but i don't think i was i mean fast forward all the way through college like i think that it was something that like I thought I had a good sense of like, you know, conscience or, you know, other like, you know, like having that sense that God is like somehow speaking or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that side of self-talk, but I think like the side where like, I realized like, okay, like I can't ascribe the conversation going on inside of myself to that other, this is a conversation that I'm having with myself. Mm -hmm. And like, what, what is that? And huh. what has informed that? I don't think I became conscious of that probably till I was like 30 and I had a really, I had a really smart life coach that kind of like un like unpackaged that for me, mm. pulled it out. And so the prior to that, was there a little bit of conflation between the two the conversation with other God spirit? Like what, like was, was there some conflation there or just a, a not realization of, it period i think that they kind of interwove mm -hmm. for me a lot and i wasn't like it would be easy to ascribe 
And I think, you know, kind of speaks to this place where a lot of the current climate is at, right? Like people have very strong, like religious tenets yeah. about like, okay, this is God telling me to do this. Right. Right. And so, but sometimes that could be the summation of all of the things that are In going on inside of your life. And that's just literally you talking to yourself, like not saying that like the, you know, the holy or the divine isn't like, you know, working through that also, but sometimes it's just yourself. Right. And you, you got to do the hard work of discerning like what's me and what is like that other mysteriousness that's like it's coming in that like I can't really explain why that is coming inside of me at this mm -hmm. point. So I would say I was, I'm still trying to figure that out at times. I've sure. got, I've spent a lot more time trying to figure out like what is me and how to unpackage, like, do I want that as part of the self-talk that's going inside of my mind? You know, so to make this a little more tangible of a conversation rather than a little more esoteric, like, one of these life coaches really helped me unpackage like what I thought about, like what love is. Mm. And I think that this is something that a lot of people go through their lives and they never, they never really think about it. Right. Like you've kind of grown up with a set of experiences from the time that, you know, your little baby like Ruby and, you know, like say, you know, and you're loved, you're cared for. And, you you kind of have this concept of what it is to be loved and cared for. Yeah, it's kind of assumed that we all think the same thing about it. Yeah, correct. We 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 think we've got this, but then, you know, some people that loved and cared for environment is is harmed, right? Like mm -hmm. I think what uh, what is the common term right now is trauma. Mm -hmm. Like, and that doesn't mean it's like a violent trauma or something right. like that. But there's something that's there's taking big you T out of trauma that. and little t trauma. Yeah, 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 it's taking you out of that space, and so then unreflected your idea of what love is continues forward but it's it's different right because mm -hmm. of like little t trauma or something mm -hmm. like that and a lot of us go through in life and like we seek a partner or we seek a friend uh or just significant relationships that are fulfilling that idea of like okay i'm, I'm loved and cared for so mm -hmm. i'm gonna go find that in someone else and it was a it was this this guy that I was talking with, he was like, you need to think about for yourself, what does love mean? And how did that produce? And so we did some hard work, like thinking back in terms of like, you know, how my parents cared for me, like some of my first relationships. And he was in so some little T trauma in the background, and maybe some big T trauma, you know, depending on how you wanted to find it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Okay, so now you know. So now he goes, you need to set up like a safe place for yourself. And so his definition of love is the mutual exploration of a shared safe space. And so if you do this hard work and kind of understanding like, okay, this is the idea of love that I'm looking for. And this is why I got into this relationship. Like, why am I in this abusive relationship? Like, okay, when I was really young, that's kind of what it, where I was at or something like that. Because like, you know, I always had to earn love mm -hmm. or something like that. Like, you know, like maybe you know, my mom or something like that, or my dad in this relationship. And I was only cared for if I did this. And mm -hmm. so there was a contingent statement in terms of this. And what he said, like, you know, love in its purest form is like, it's not, it's non-contingent. Like it's, it's unconditional. Like that's what most people are looking for is mm -hmm. that unconditional love and care. But at some point in time, something has happened where we put a condition stuff gets added, stuff gets added in terms of like, okay, like in order for me to be loved, I have to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so most people will con continue to seek that out. 
you know, like, and so you're, that's where codependence and a lot of like neuroses yeah. come from. And so deserve like those things kind of get packaged in there somehow. Yeah. So like that, huh. that space of like self-talk, like, you know, I would say like the reason it didn't come through is till I was 30 because I was having those kind of conversations as you know, when I was in the space of like trying to figure out, okay, who am I? And like, mm -hmm. where am I moving? And so I was unpackaging like some of these like deep things that are inside of my person and being like, okay, do I want that to remain a part of me? Look, it's still there. It's still yeah. a conversation in the back of my head, but I'm like, you know what? That's not going to inform who I am. I'm going to be way more like compassionate with that little version of me, like that little kid that's still inside of me mm -hmm. that's seeking out that. Yeah. And when that person comes out and is like, oh, I'm really needy right now. Like I really need this person to pay attention to me. It's like, okay, look, maybe that person doesn't really want to pay attention to me right now. And that's yeah. okay. Oh, yep. Look, that's my needy little child coming mm -hmm. out and like i'm gonna i'm gonna be compassionate with myself and be like yeah it's fine like it's great like let's sit down and have a conversation with that guy right now look little josh like that person doesn't not <laughs> little jay yeah yeah you know they're not going to give your attention right yeah, now yeah, yeah. and so i'd say that that's that's been something that's been revelatory for me that's that's a journey i'm on actively right now it's like discerning the voices in my head how did that i love how you made that real so you you gave us a really tangible example there, like a, the the exploration of love for you. Um, how did, as much as you want to share, how did that affect how you give and receive love? Oh yeah, like I would say dramatically. Like prior to doing some of those that, that hard work and understanding what I was what I was seeking in life, mm -hmm. I would say like I sought out relationships that were unreflected, you know? So like I, I was present, but I would say that, you know, like I was, I didn't really understand why I was seeking certain relationships, but I would come back and I'd be like, man, like, I don't really feel like that's, I don't, I don't, I, I kind of feel bad about myself, like mm. in the relationship. And I couldn't understand why post like doing some of these, these hard work uh, with myself and like understanding who I was a little bit more, like I have found like, you know, way more comfortability in making the statement. I say this to Amy all the time, like the, probably the basis of she and I's relationship is I, I love you and you're wonderful period. Right. And that's like, there's no conditions. That's just like always with wherever we're at, I love you and you're wonderful. Where I say it like that, I wasn't ever really able to be at that place before. It was like, yeah, I love you. And, but you know, what, what about this? Or you like, about what, a few things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But what about me? Right. Yeah. And so I'd say like way more now, like I'm comfortable and I'm very comfortable sitting in a space of, man, I, I love you and you're wonderful. And like, let's, let's figure out who we are. And so because I know more of who I am. As I say, do you feel the same about yourself? Yeah. There's still parts of myself I don't like. Right. Like sure. very, very much sure. like, and I probably don't give myself enough grace, like in certain areas, like that, that's a perfectionist tendency of like, oh, I'm going to rake myself over the coals about this, but I've gotten a lot better and be like, okay, look, it's not a failure. Like I'm learning. Right. Mm. Like it's like, I might continue to, you know, have to take my foot out of my mouth. It seems like once or twice a week. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, God, I know I'm so bringing, like, I'm on this journey of love rodney is well aware of it and um you said there's this this component that kind of weaves my initial question together to something that you said at the beginning and i want to get to a question 
there is the space that we hold to wonder if that's me or if that's the energy or God or spirit that's traveling through me. And I conflate my ego with my essence or the spiritual attachment that I have to the existence that I live in this world, whatever that is. Um, I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle and, sure. and a, I'm, you know, just the power of now and Rodney, I'm reading it again and it has a whole different meaning to me this year than it did last year. Um, that's a conversation maybe for another time. And I think about that separation and you've gone through really trying to unpack it as I see that, like, I feel everything you're saying because I feel that shift in me, like my thoughts and my ideas are not necessarily me. I am me. And whatever energy passes through me that I experience that makes me feel a certain way about doing something is an, an, an expression of who I truly am, not the ideas and thoughts that I have, right? And then right. when we bundle that together, all of a sudden my ego becomes my essence. And then you're, you're totally screwed, right? Um, unless you do a lot of work. And you said ego at the beginning. And this before, we, you know, in the in the uh, um, activation question section, how is it? So two things. How do you see your own ego and what practice do you or practices do you um, put in place to unpack this since you figured, you know, since you were 30? Do you have a consistent practice? Do you meditate? Like what is. What does that look like for you so ego doesn't take hold and cause you to not be you but think you are? Yeah. So for me, my ego is that like it's that part of me that strives to always be in the limelight, right? Like that combination of like the 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 elements that is truly me or that that my inner self says like this is me and it's the ego is like hey here it is out here in the world and it constantly wants to put that in front of people and be like ah look at me look up here look up here you know it's like it's this constant screaming idiot that's in the background that sometimes it has really intelligent things to say and sometimes it's just like oh my gosh like no so for me like the practices that i've tried to put in place every morning i've got probably like four or five little meditation books that I keep on the side of our table. And, you know, sometimes to the chagrin of you know, my wife, Amy, like in the mornings, like I get up, like I make a little bit of breakfast, I make some coffee. And then for me, like I get into this space of reading like these, these sort of like meditations. And, you know, she kind of pokes at me every once in a while. She's like, you know, you're really good for reading in the morning. <laughs> so I've tried to be better about, okay, like let's step out of that. Right. Cause then again, there's a ego thing like, okay, this time I'm going to get my day started. And mm -hmm. she's like, look, we got to get shoes on the kids. Like we got to get them ready for school. Like, let's go. So I've actually started to, you know, realize like, okay, I need to step out of like, what is my practice of checking my own ego and realize there's other things going on. Like, again, the others coming in mm -hmm. and taking me out of like my space. And it's like, okay, I got to pay attention to that. So I'd say like my physical practice is like sitting down, doing some reading, 
but then being open to the other coming inside of like even that space. So, you know, like I would say that is probably the, the best thing that I do. And then, gosh, you know, like I used to run a lot more than I do now. I still run quite a bit, but you know, running, I think is almost a spiritual practice, you know, for me. And even like when I rode rowing for me was that escape out of the other. Cause there's, you know, they talk about those flow states or those moments when you're just like outside of self, you're outside of those things. For me, like a physical practice doing something could be yoga, could be running, rowing, you know, insert exercise here. Like when you're able to quiet that, you know, voice that is that screaming idiot that's in the back of your head and you're open to more of what's going on then all of a sudden like you know that stream of consciousness that thing that's just coming through where there's like tons of information you know that's coming through all the time and all of a sudden there's a little bit clarity you know mm. I, I think i remember once saying like the human eye takes in like 10,000 points of information like a second or something like that and i can't remember like don't quote me on the number but it was ridiculous <laughs> like the amount of information that the human eye takes in mm -hmm. so this is going into your ocular and like what actually is able to get received it's like maybe like 5,000, something like that it was a ridiculous number high it could be like it could be hundreds but like if we really put our attention on something like vision wise physical vision we might be able to take in three but there's all of this information that's coming in that your brain is processing at some point in time. And for me, like that's, that's the, that's like this ego, like engagement with the world. Like you're taking in all this information and like, it's all coming into your stream of consciousness, but you're getting this practice of like, okay, like what am I going to put my attention on? Like, what am I really going to focus with? Mm -hmm. And so like those meditation journals or like even, and then a physical practice for me is like, okay, what's going to take my attention now? And that kind of pulls me into those spaces. How do you, how do you real quick like that there you go that space that flow state um i just was reading this this morning in the power of now and eckhart tolle refers like it's often referred to as an out-of-body experience as he would mm. say it is like the true expression of self like that is your essence when everything is shut down and you are just with you and you are here and you're in your body and you feel the burn and you feel everything around you. I strive to get that right and work hard to be in that space often. And I think I'll close off and be, this is the ultimate tension that exists in, in the world is that not enough people try hard enough to just be or trying hard to make everybody else like them i think that's accurate right like there's not a great deal of striving to be authentic and uh, to be authentically human right mm -hmm. like i think okay so there's there's some contingent statements right if you believe that you're we're created right like that there's there's a created element to us versus just like okay a smashing together of like you know, primordial mud that came together like millions of years ago when we've been, you know, developing, which I think is accurate, right? Like I can't deny science. There's been some evolution that's come through there, but there's an element, right? That kind of came into it. Um, so if you give, if you give that, that there's something that's more, right? Then really, okay, so what's, wh what is our purpose that's here? Like, 
you know, everybody defines purpose for themselves in some way. Like we all have this like great luxury right now of being able to say like, okay, what's my purpose? What am I going to fulfill? But I think foundationally, like figuring out who we're supposed to be as, as humans is, is like a foundational element. Like all of us should have this purpose of how do I be an authentic human? And I, I think that question, if to speak to what you were saying, Keith, like if more people would like delve into that question, we'd have some really fun conversations. And mm -hmm. I think there'd be a lot less like animosity with people because people would be like, oh my gosh, like I really don't know. And it would be a, a much more open space of like, okay, how do we answer this? Like, how, do, how do we about, talk about love? Like that, yeah. that energy that we could commonly share to experience mm -hmm. each other in a way, like it would just. That Hell, the shared struggle really of trying to be human yeah. and trying to figure out self and Not trying to hide like, it or fight it, which I want to come back to something, but Rodney has a question. No, I like this train of thought. I mean, I, I, this idea of, making um trying to trying to i don't know like force humanity or or what i think is right on everybody else when i haven't really figured out myself or i haven't really like myself not figured out the truth for myself but just figured out even myself and then tried to parse the truth within that i mean i know when i hear myself talk i hear my parents i hear my coaches i hear my grandparents i hear right uh god you know what it would like like you said it all kind of mixes in and out and then um the super assured past me was like you gotta do this and it's like yeah really do like do they i don't know um and there's this like when you reach in those moments there's this calm that no matter what others do say or project on you it does not matter it's like okay thank you right like there's an a, mm. appreciation of your existence going back to that holding space for other people and it's so hard to maintain like i i'm just at the beginning of really seeing this and with the election going on and everything all i can find my ego doing is be like why don't you think this way and why don't and at the same time fighting with myself to say yeah but you know this is this is the nature of the human struggle and there's so much in it and accepting it but this ultimately leads to something i really want to understand from you is you you talk about a value and you are very reluctant to say that you're competitive it's almost like you I, I i receive almost a sense of shame about it or a guilt that it's like i shouldn't be competitive but i am competitive and like you you talk about accepting that part of you and like on owning it, yeah. what 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 is that experience with competitiveness with inside of you and am i even receiving it correctly like am I, you know no that's like very astute i think that like your uh your humanity meter is spot on <laughs> <laughs> you know so if if we were talking about sport right like there would i would have no problem being like, look, I'm competitive. Like, mm -hmm. let's go out. Let's let's sit on the rowing ergometer. Let's race. Or if we're going to go to the gym and we're going to do like a CrossFit workout or something, like, absolutely, I'm going to compete. I want to get into that. But I think what you're picking up on is, yeah, almost a shame. Like, I, 
I don't want to be competitive to be a better human than someone else. Mm. Right. Like, cause I don't think I have cornered the market on being a human being. And I wouldn't even say that my conception of how to be a good human is something that I would want to like put with someone else. Like I have some really good ideas, I think at times, like other times I think, you know, that was, that, that didn't really happen. But to be competitive inside of this process of being authentically human, I think that's what you're picking up on. Is mm. like, I don't want to compete with someone else to be better than they are. Mm. But absolutely, like, the, like to the core of me, I'm a competitive person. I think that's what's made me like a successful athlete. I think it's what's made me a successful coach. But in this process of being human, I don't think there's the space to compete against someone else in that because we're all on a journey of figuring out, like you said, like you're just in this beginning place of finding out where I'm at with that. There's no reason that I need to compete with you on that. It's like, where are you at on your journey right now? Like, that's exciting, right? Like, that's a really fun conversation. And if you get into this element of like, oh, no, 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 wait, Keith, I've got a really good idea about how you should be right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If I'm competing in that conversation to inform you who you're going to be, I've missed out. I've missed the connection. There's this really great Radiohead song, like uh, where the gap in between, like the the space between the space you and between, I, yeah, space I love between. This song. That's a great. Isn't there is an infinite distance between I and thou, right? Like you could slice it up however you wanted. Like I could, I could sit right next to you, but there's still going to be some level of atoms mm -hmm. that's between us. Yeah. And really, the only way to cross this infinite distance is communication and dialogue mm -hmm. and a genuine and authentic like reaching out. And in that authentic reaching out from me to you, I don't think there's a space to be competitive there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the tension that you're picking up on is like, so I, this I inner, is this inner war? Cause I know I'm a competitive human being like that. My athlete self is constantly competing. But then when I drop into the space of like, okay, like now I'm, you know, thinking about who I am as a person, I, I want to get to know someone else, that animal side of me, that competitor comes out. And that's when I'm like, ah, and potentially a third aspect. I don't know if this is for you, but I, I'm sensing this for myself now hearing you a third aspect is culturally, uh, in politics, in 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 company, we we respect that competitor, and we respect that cocksure, that assured competitor who's like, I know, yeah. And so I'm kind of thinking back to your initial question, Keith. This tension right now with the election, I wonder if all this is kind of coming to a head, where it's like, you know you got the left and the right and politicians are on the podium saying this is the right way and this is the right way and then they're saying this is the right way and this is the right way and it's like I, for, like i know i don't know any of this how do you know and maybe you do maybe you don't but like there's this just this this beating of like i know and i know and you don't know and we're all just trying to be human and nobody really has it but in order to get where they are and this isn't just politics, but like they've got to act like they know or they've got to purport that they know. And we're all sitting back like, yeah, no, I don't. It doesn't feel right. Like there's a, there's there's layers of just discomfort with that system as it is, because it's not it, you. If you wanted to run for office and say what you just said, I'm a competitor, but I wrestle with that and 
I don't have this figured out. Like people be like, all right, well, you're not the guy. Like, yeah, correct. We need we need somebody who knows. Um, when in my Which opinion, we... you'd be like, that'd be the perfect politician. Like, we need somebody who's willing to sit down and question all this with people. Which I think brings up, like, that is an amazing pivot to the profession that you're in, and holding that conflicting space as a leader, mm. trying to coach people especially young people who don't even have and this no offense to your team they're just scientifically don't have fully developed brains the brains right? aren't there yet yeah <laughs> they're, they're, they're more raw they're 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 more drawn to that stability and that that leadership that we have assigned as leadership is someone who just comes out and says it even if they're wrong like how do you balance that as a as a leader and a coach yeah, there's certainly times when, you know, I'm at the front being like, okay, you know, look at me. I know the way. This is where we're going. This is how it's going to go. And there's those times that, that you have to you have to do that, right? Like, here's the training program. Here's who we're going to be. This is the foundation. Like, we talk a lot about Trojan Rowing family at USC. And, like, I have an idea of how we're going to create that, right? And so we move forward, and, and it's there. But, again, for me, it's it's that. I try to weave that same conversation that we just had into my own coaching style. Like there's times it's like, yep, this is the stroke. This is what are the X's and O's of rowing, if you will. This is how we're going to row. This is what we need to do. But then there's other times where, okay, how are we going to get to that place? Or how are you athlete ABC going to mm -hmm. get there? Their journey there is going to be different. And like this has transformed over the last you know 20 some odd years that i've been coaching when i was a young coach it was like this is the way make it happen my you way know, or the highway my way or the highway like you know this is how it's going to be and what i realized is like i really ostracize a lot of really good athletes and i probably lost some people and so now like it's like okay this is what we're going to do but even in the recruiting process like i'll tell athletes like hey look like if you have a good idea i want to hear it coaching is a dialogue and so we talk about the center of our program being coaches and athletes like working together. And so we've got this little diagram that we have that success is going to be the byproduct of us working on being the best version of ourselves. And so the best version of me is not going to be the best version that my athlete is going to be, not my, my athlete, the athlete or a athlete. Cause they're not mine, right? Like uh, that, that possessiveness, I try to avoid that in my head because mm -hmm. I don't possess them. They are themselves. It's like and yeah, correct. Yeah, right. There's not an ownership that's there, but what I try to do is coach them to take ownership of themselves mm -hmm. and of the process and share with me how they are going to get to the pro the place of fulfilling what we're trying to do. And so, you know, it's definitely flipped in some programs, right? Where the center of the program is performance. It's like, look, you have to perform. Perform or, you know, there's the door or there's the highway. And I would say that was like early version of me. And there's still a lot of really successful programs where that's how they operate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we've I think we've chosen a harder path right now where it's like the center of the program is going to be us trying to figure out this dynamic of how to become really good human beings. And there's a, there's a free, what we talk about is there's a freedom and autonomy that comes from that. So when I put them in a boat and I push them away from the dock, like rowing is this weird sport, right? 
where I don't get to make like substitutions in the middle. It's right. not like, oh, you know, like five seats not doing really good. Time out, you know, like let's put somebody else in. That doesn't work that way. It's like when you get those people lined up in the boat and you send them away to race, like they're on their own. If somebody's off, they're off. Like, yeah, they're just... off. Like it's on to them to figure it out. You know, you you maybe train up your coxswain. It's like, okay, if this happens, this happens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in an eight, you've got nine bodies, nine minds, nine souls that are trying to weave themselves together to get from point a to point b in the fastest possible way and sure if it's like hey it's this way do this execute the plan there's no freedom there's no autonomy the the coxswain goes out okay coach gave us the race plan this is how it's going to go if something goes wrong a lot of times that person's going to panic because they're like oh like i was it was supposed to be like this and there's no like autonomy for them to be like, okay, this went wrong. What's next? And so what we try to do in this space of saying like, okay, like this is you and I working on becoming our best version of ourselves is when I push you away and you go out, I'm like, I just want you to be yourself. Mm -hmm. Trust that like you, you, you know, you have integrity, you know, you have accountability, you're compassionate with yourself. You know, you know, everybody's leading, everybody's taking ownership. Everybody's going to lead inside of that. Everybody's taking responsibility for the rate of the boat or the split. Everybody's tied together with this sense of spirit so like whatever comes at you i trust that you're going to make the adaptation and there's a freedom and autonomy in that knowing that no matter what happens on the race course when they come back out i'm going to be standing on the dock my very first question is like how'd we go like how was the race and if it was like oh fantastic it's like oh good like any place we can improve on yeah we could do this and this great when we go back to practice we can work on those things but if it's a bad race, they're going to come back like, oh, man, like we would, you know, like it wasn't that great. You know, and sometimes like even the races they win was not a good race for them. Mm. And they come back and it gives us something to work on. Sometimes like the best race, like we had this race once where we ended up, you know, down by three tenths of a second at the end of the race. Just one more stroke and we would have been fine. But they came back and they were like, that was the most in rhythm that we were like we were so synced together like really we probably could have sprinted a little bit earlier that might have got us there but like it was it was amazing right and like you know half the boat doesn't even remember it you know speaking of that flow state like yeah, that place they're that in they're it. in they're just in it in that moment and so you know i'd say like in terms of a coach like there's times that i definitely have to stand in and say like yes this is where we're gonna go but there's also times i have to you know, be humble and be like, okay, like, how are, how are you guys thinking that we're going to get there? And if it's a good idea, man, there's been a lot of times, especially within the last like four or five years that I've been like, you know what, I, I think that we should try this. And now all of a sudden like that athlete feels empowered. Right. And you know, a lot of coaches shy away from wanting to empower their athletes. Cause they're like, Oh, well, what if they, they're going to try to take over the program or they're going to exert authority. But I, I'm just not really afraid of that. Like, because ultimately they know that I'm the head coach, right? Right. They know I'm in charge, but there's a space there for me to be able to say like, okay, you got a good idea. Let's bring it in. And I have become a better coach, a better person because they've informed me. And so there's a shallow slope, right? Like there's definitely times where, you know, I have to be at the, the head. I got to make yeah. decisions that they don't want to do. I got to give them workouts. They don't want to do because sure. you know, I but mean, it's there's a physical aspect. Like you got to do the work. Yeah. You... It's, it's way more of a horizontal leadership like not strict horizontal where there's no, you know, leader or anything like that. I tried that once. I didn't work out very well, um, but it's not like strict hierarchy, right? Like it's you not show up and just say, what are we going to do today? And they're like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah. 
You good? You need nap? I okay. think okay. The, something I, I never really thought about in the performance culture, where it's just performance performing. I mean, there is right. There's there's um there's the whole being invited back aspect. Like if if you know if every season is losing, people are like, "What are we doing here?" Um, so you may not get invited back. But then there's if if performance is the only measure of success, and what I just heard was you're going to miss maybe that question of how to go. Cause like, just cause we're winning doesn't mean we're doing all right or that we feel good about it. Or just cause we lost doesn't mean that we didn't do something amazing that we could maybe figure out how to do better. Um, and so that, that seems like a small nuance, but maybe a, like really important. I think it's an important nuance for sure. Right? Like I, you have to have a space to improve right does that mm -hmm. kind of hit on it like you yeah. have to have this space where like we can always be improving yeah and that sense of being invited back if it's only performance perform 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 then you know you start to treat the athletes as, as they're automatons right it's just like okay robot like sit there do this and they get that sense like even if you're you're saying like hey i value you but like perform mm -hmm. so where, do you value me or the output yeah, correct. Like which one is it? Yeah. It can't be both or can it? I don't know. I think the harder pathway in terms of creating a culture within a team is, and I would say that you could probably apply this out, even outside of like a, like a, an athletic team culture. I mean, I think you could, there's applications to any environment. Culture is not really the right term, like environment. I would probably say is better than culture. Like mm -hmm. that environment is going to apply wherever. If you are like valuing your people that are there you're opening up a space for them to contribute to that you're going to have a way more dynamic situation mm -hmm. where people are going to want to come back and they're going to want to do better because like whoa this person really values me this person really thinks that i am contributing and what i've found especially like you know in my own situation inside of athletics is like if i if i can truly and authentically reach that athlete and let them know like look you're unconditionally loved and cared for um but yes i'm going to push you to the very limits of your human potential they want to do that they want to find that limit for themselves you know we talk about the scale of autonomy like are you extrinsically motivated or are you intrinsically motivated mm. and neither one is good or bad but along that pathway you're actualized differently some people are super motivated by, you know, rewards and by medals, you know, and that that's fine. Right. Like, but, you know, I would say that you have less autonomy in that because like, you're only seeking this, mm -hmm. you know, you'll talk to Olympians that they get done and they're like, gosh, I spent 12 years working towards this medal and like, now I got it. And it's like, okay, well now what do I do? Mm -hmm. You know, I've even had conversations with people on the Olympic, like I've been on the Olympic podium that are like, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I don't know if I do it, if I do it. Really? Yeah. Like, and you know, if they're going to be honest with themselves, like I've, I've, people have said that, I think that's kind of sad, right? Yeah. Like, because like you invested like all these times within your life. And so it's got to be about something more than just the win or the chunk of metal, M-E-D-A-L that you're going to have. There's, um, this reality and we've talked, Rodney and I talk about a lot of things a lot, but the, the, the mentality of the process is not culturally instilled upon us. We are taught to revere the results, right? So yeah. 
when we engage in something, we engage for the result of it, not the process of it. And what I love about the approach that you take, when you can get someone into flow state, and for anybody who hasn't been in it in any way, um, there's, there's a missing existence when you don't get a chance to be in it. If you can get in flow state, whether it's in practice or in, or in, in the, are they meets? Is that? Yeah, we meet? call them regattas. Regattas um, or whatever it might be. And you, the result isn't what you wanted it to be, but that process like of excellence and achievement and improvement and betterment and in, in being in it is ultimately the experience and you get a result for it, it becomes that result becomes far more rewarding because you're so attached to the to the approach to getting there, rather than just thinking about the thing. And then you miss you're not in the moment, you're not in the present, you're, you're tapping into ego more than you are your existence. And then you get a result. And it's sad. I, I mean, it's it's unfortunate. It's like, Oh, I'm here. Now what? Yeah, right. Correct. I think that's yeah. a very accurate descriptor. It kind of it kind of makes me think of. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish that, Keith. Uh, I was just going to say, or I could just go back and keep training because that's what I love, and I might not be training for a medal again, but I never was in the first place. Yeah. Like I was, and I wasn't. Right? I have a goal, but that's mm -hmm. right. Like it's a it's a weird fine balance. But sorry, go ahead, Roddy. No, I just hearing you say like the sad part. It kind of makes me think of actors and actresses that make it and really anybody on a famous like public stage who makes it they feel hollow and empty but everybody's like oh but you got the life you got the money in the house and you just made that movie and you know you got that medal but it's not it's not fulfilling like it's not like billionaires who aren't happy the money yeah that's not it's not enough to but we 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 like we champion it in our in our in our environment in our in our what and i'll say in our western world i i think it's not just western I mean, there's there's different versions of it elsewhere but we champion it and then we get there and it's hollow if we don't explore our humanity if we don't know who we are if we don't explore our, our full the full range of mind body spirit I had a coach friend of mine once ask me a question. He's like, how do you know when you've made it? And I, I thought it was, it was a great question. And I was like, so I asked, I was like, so I don't understand, like, I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, how do you know when you made it? You know, like, you know, here we are, like we're, it was early on. He's like, we're struggling. We're trying to work ourselves to a point where, you know, we're either going to be head coaches or, you know, we're going to transition into something else or, you know, if, if, we're in the business world like we're going to be a ceo we're going to own our own company like how do how do you know if you've made it and i was like oh man like that's got to be that's so specific to the person right like in terms of where they are because i think you know from the outside looking in like if someone were going to look at my life they'd be like oh wow you know like wife kids education you know head coach of a you know power five institution like guys made it but from my reality, I'm like, I have not made it, <laughs> you know, because like I just I see that I'm there's so much more that I could be doing. Right. Like not doing is not the right word. There's so much more that I have to learn about how to help people, how to help myself, like how to be a better leader, 
like I would not say that I've made it. And I'd say that, you know, there's all of these incumbent struggles that come like with having arrived at that place. It's just, it's just different. Whereas, you know, from the outside looking in, we look at people, you look at actors or, you know, people that are really famous and like, Whoa, man, they've made it. But it's like, okay. I've always been a fan of like Kung Fu movies and martial arts. And I think it's because the masters, the senseis, like these badass dudes and women that like, they can do things that are unreal, right? And as they're talking to their pupil or their head pupil or whatever, and, and they're like, oh, but you're the master. Like, you got this. And they're like, no, I don't. They're like, I, and, and it's not even a, it's not a false humility. It's a very much like, no, I, I don't have this figured out. I just happen to be further ahead than you. I'm still searching, still seeking, still meditating, still practicing. And it's like this balance of just mastery and yeah, but I'm still going. Like it's, it's not. It's, you know, it's that outside perspective like i we just met josh i see your life i see it as a point in time reference to my life right i didn't i don't see tomorrow or the next day or so it's it's this outside perspective influence that we create when we don't go through the journey of self-discovery and i think it's a human condition to compare and contrast and we look at other people and go you did this and it's like oh cool I look at you, Josh, in this moment in time and say, you, you've done all this, but I don't know the last 20 years. You know, it's like when you leave your, your parents' house who worked so long to get to this big house and you leave and you're like, well, I have to have a big house too. It's like you mm. didn't see every step along the journey. When we hit that point, like when, when we hit that alignment to ourselves to just be in it and just process it, like we can hit these achievements along the way, but like, I know I'm going to keep going because I want to keep living. Yeah. So like why is living can't just be the one time you stand on the podium, like living Correct. is far longer than that. Right. Um, but I, I have to like you share your thought and I just want to call out, we have two minutes and one final question because this conversation has been, it's gone so fast. Yeah, mm. it's gone really fast. Mm. So we good. there was a coach mentor of mine early on in my career, and he he handed me like a one page sheet, and it's called the Zone of Discipline, mm -hmm. and it's a picture of two lines, like kind of like you know uh, parallel lines going off in the distance, perpendicular, like when you do that, like railroad tracks mm -hmm. for perspective, and off in the far distance is this target, and off to the side he'd had like little uh statements like you know too far to the right too far to the left versus i spend all of my time with friends i don't spend any time with friends i spend all of my time in the library studying i don't ever pick up a book mm. you know and or i spend all my time in the weight room i don't even pick up a weight and i remember it was like oh this is pretty rudimentary he's like yeah but like if you're gonna present the opportunity for someone to drop into a flow condition like it's going to happen in this place of discipline where you're not too far to the right, you're not too far to the left, but you're somewhere right in the middle and you're kind of walking in that dynamic tension of those things. And, you know, when you really like Mahaley, Mahaley, who like kind of pioneered that sense of flow state, like I think that's kind of what I took from him is like you're, you're constantly trying to present yourself with the opportunity to drop into that flow condition. And a lot of people are like, oh, I could never do the work. It's like, okay, you really could. Pick up a book and pick up a book that you're really interested in reading. And like how many times have you been reading and like the 
time just flows away. That's a flow state, right? You entered into the practice of reading words and through that you quieted all of the stream of consciousness that's going through and like all of a sudden you were in a different space and like that's flow, mm-hmm. right? Like so I think a lot of people really have had an experience of flow but haven't, know it. yeah, they haven't like gone through reflexively right. and said like, okay, how did I present myself the opportunity for being inside of that? Yeah. So I'm taking out of this discovery, reflection, actualization. I think we've solved it. Summed <laughs> it up. <laughs> Done. Yep, it up. There we go. <laughs> All right. I want man, thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks this is wonderful. Through. I mean, we're gonna have to do more of this online and offline. Like this is fun. Yeah. yeah. Um this is this, this is a great conversation, by the way. Like this time goes by. Oh, it goes right by. And it's just like ah, this is a space I want to be in. This is a space I want to be in prior to an election, too. Like this mm, gives yeah. me hope and it just helps me focus on the things that I can control and things like yeah man, I, I can reflect on me a lot more than other people and what's going wrong right now. Cause I think that's the suck too. Yeah. There's this vacuum of like, ah, the world's on fire. Cause it's on fire. And then it's like, oh wait, but I can control what I can control. So, right. Thank you. Um, awesome. so we got a final question. We ask everybody. Okay. This is now your audience. They, they've hung around this long. Um, what, what do you want to leave them with? What do you, what do you want them to ponder or take away? Being authentically human is not as hard as it may seem. Mm. It really starts with asking yourself some pretty simple questions, right? What motivates me? Like, okay, like maybe that's, you know, achievement of medals. Maybe that's achievement of like uh, superiority in work. Maybe that's like having a nice house, whatever it is. Okay, ask yourself Okay, why is that motivating me? And is that going to truly fulfill who I am? What does it mean for me to be fulfilled? And I think also like really trying to delve into like the interior conversation that's there. Being authentically human starts with figuring out who is having the conversation inside of your head, right? That reflexive conversation like, oh, that's my you know, third grade softball coach that told me I could never hit a ball. Mm -hmm. Like that's that person that's there. Like all of this with a little bit of reflective time can unpackage some of the dialogue that's going on inside of our heads. And that'll put you on a step of this process, right? Of like learning more about you. So being authentic is something I think that, you know, if you've made it this far in the conversation, like continue the journey. Like keep asking, keep asking yourself those questions. Thank you.